With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hockey News on the O. As always, I am one of your hosts, Tony Ferrari. Joining me is Brock Otten, as always. And today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of fun stuff going on in the OHL, but I figured we'd start off with the two teams that haven't lost in regulation finally losing in Windsor and Ottawa. What was uh, kind of your take on both those games, Brock? Well, when we look at Ottawa, it was Peterborough that finally bested them, and we know that Peterborough is another team that's going to compete for an Eastern Conference title this year, so um, that winning streak wasn't going to last forever, right? So if somebody's going to beat you, I'm, I'm glad it was a, a really strong team. And in Windsor, uh, Erie Otters are rolling. They won four in a row, including beating Windsor this uh, first time in regulation, I believe, right? So, yep. yeah, it, they weren't going to last forever, and uh, two good teams finally bested them in it. Yeah, it was really fun to watch the Windsor game specifically. I remember I was watching it the other day and watching the replay. And it was just kind of one of those games where little things were going wrong and you could kind of tell it was the end of the road for their uh, regulation win streak. So let's get into the three stars. I figure we can start off with the the first star, also the player of the week in the OHL, Denny Gore. Really good week for Owen Sound this week. Uh, what was your thoughts on this game? I think the big thing for Gore is that he stepped up. Colby Barlow's out of the lineup right now, um, the Owen Sound attack captain, and their best and most consistently dangerous offensive player. So, yeah, Denny Gore stepped up huge for the attack. They had a really strong weekend, and they're playing really good hockey right now, and uh, so is he. He's definitely pushing for you know himself to be on the NHL draft radar again, and um, I know there's there are fans of him out there. So he had a he had a great week. What was he? Uh, four goals, four assists, eight points in three games. So really strong. Yeah, it was a really strong week for him. And like you said, pushing to be back on that draft radar. I know there was a few people after the draft that said, "Oh, they were shocked that he didn't go." A big OA or a big draft plus one year will be uh, good for him to get into the uh, draft conversation again this year. Second star though, man who took down Windsor with a four point nine of his own. Kobe Sagniak of the Erie Otters, really good game against Windsor. Like I mentioned, four points, seven points in three games for the week. What, what was your take on his game so far this week? I feel like we needed to include an Otter. Uh, one had to be on this list as part of the three stars, given how well they're playing. Um, this is an Erie team that I think the expectations weren't incredibly high this year. I think a lot of people kind of expected them to be sort of in that like seven to nine range in the Western Conference, and they're playing really good hockey. Um, and Colby Saginaw hasn't had the type of sort of offensive uh, breakout that we kind of expected he would when he came over from the USHL, right? Now we're starting to see him put it together finally, which is really good for the Otters. Yeah, it, it, like I said, anytime you have a big game, take a team like Windsor who's under, who is undefeated in regulation to that point – Always goes a long way in this in these situations where you're going for the player of the week or one of the three stars for us. Uh, going to the third star, though, there was a bunch of different uh, options. We had Ben Goudreau, Gavin Hayes, Matt Maggio. all have big weeks. Evan Beerling, another big week for him. But we went to Owen Sound's goaltender, uh, Carter George. 
two wins, 0.63 goals against average, and a 976 save percentage over two games. Just absolutely stellar, helping Owen Sound stay strong. Yeah, I mean, he's also a 16-year-old, right? This is a young kid that's just recently been drafted. Interestingly enough, he wasn't one of the Ontario goaltenders selected as part of the U-17s either. That went to uh, Ryerson Lenders and David Vigorov. So a really strong weekend stepping up uh, for the attack. Uh, again, another team, either, I mentioned they're missing Colby Barlow, but they're also missing their starting goaltender in Chenard. And uh, Carter George really stepped up for them. And kudos to him. He was the goaltender of the week as well. Yeah, anytime, like I said, anytime you have a big week like he did, 976 save percentage over two games, especially like you mentioned, as a 16-year-old, that's a huge week for him. So he deserves some love here, even though, like I said, there was a ton of big good performances this week. Yeah, uh, uh, like you said, there every weekend there's there's guys who are stepping up huge, and especially I feel like we keep mentioning 16 year olds too. Um, and we're going to talk about the U17s coming up and and how the OHL is sending a very strong contingent to to that tournament. Yeah, there's quite a few guys going to that tournament or that little event. But first, let's get to our draft pro or our drafted prospects of the week. And th this week, we're looking at the Red Wings prospects in the OHL. There's three of them this week: Amadeus Lombardi, Pasquale Zito, and Tanias Mathurin. It's uh it's a mixed bag for the, these prospects. I think there's one guy that stands out among the rest. So I think we should start off with Amadeus Lombardi, guy that's got 16 points in 13 games, uh, plus five on the year, fourth round pick last year for the for the Red Wings. Guy that didn't play a whole lot because of the the COVID shutdown and everything, but w when he has played, he's looked fantastic. And this season, he's proving it. Yeah, I really liked him heading into the draft uh, last year as a bit of a sleeper. He was somebody who hadn't really played above a higher level uh, or at a higher level before being an OHL rookie last year. So I think the expectations uh, in terms of from a scouting perspective were relatively low. He wasn't on the, the landscape as a re-entry. And then he had this really strong year for Flint on a really good team. And I, I really like his playmaking ability. I think that's definitely his strong suit. Really intelligent player, um, especially sort of below the goal line um, and how he works through the middle of the ice. Um, yeah, I, I really like this prospect. I think he was a very savvy selection by the Red Wings. I know he had a pretty good prospect camp from what I understand. I know you're, you're a Red Wings guy, Tony. I know that uh, they really like him, and um, I think that there's a strong chance that he can develop into a middle six player. Yeah, there's a ton of hype about him at the at Red Wings prospect camp. I think he's, if I'm not mistaken, he scored a lacrosse goal in one of the scrimmage games. He had a bunch of points in a bunch of other games and stuff like that. So he was a real standout among the, the, the Red Wings prospects, kind of giving people a lot of uh, early, early uh, sleeper sleeper potential with with his game. So he's got some of the, the best skill from the draft class that I saw from some of the guys picked around him in the fourth, fifth round last year. So He's going to be a really fun prospect to watch develop, and it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of translate some of that ability that he's, he's shown off a little bit later than a lot of guys because, like you said, the COVID shutdown and everything forced his rookie year to last year. Um, but let's go with another guy that I've seen here, plenty in Windsor before he was traded, Pasquale Zito, 10 points in 11 games, 13 penalty minutes. He was a sixth-round pick in 2021. What have you liked about his game this year for the Niagara Ice Dogs? Yeah, it was interesting to see him move to the Ice Dogs this offseason. Definitely an opportunity for him to step into maybe a bit of a leadership role, more of a larger role offensively. He's a big body. He likes to play through the middle. Um, I think he does a good job protecting the puck. That's sort of been his game, even going back to his U16, U15 days when he was an OHL draft prospect. And uh, I think the key for him moving forward is just to continue to develop as a skater. 
I think that's going to be the big thing um, in terms of whether, you know, he has a, a prolonged NHL or, or even pro career. Um, I think just, just trying to find that, that niche, right? Um, I don't think Pascal Zito is the most innately skilled player. I think there's definitely some good offense awareness. I think he projects well as a potential two-way player. Like I said, protects the puck well. It's good off the puck and supporting both offensive and, and defensively. Uh, but it's just what what's the upside there? Um, I think the start in Niagara is below a point per game right now. I kind of expected him to be a little bit higher. Uh, what are your knowing him so well and knowing his game so well, Tony? What's your take on Zito? I've been a little disappointed because I remember when he came into the to the Spitfires as a as a young player. There was a lot of hype around him, and there's a lot of people talking about how this could be one of those guys that kind of pops off that that isn't necessarily a, a guy that was brought in with a, a top five pick or anything. Someone that, that can really kind of be a contributor to a team like last year where they went on to the, to the conference finals and then eventually to the, to the league final. But he hasn't really been able to do that yet. He hasn't really been able to pop off offensively. Like you said, his skating is still going to need some work. He needs to increase that mobility, but he is smart. And that's the one thing I've, I've noticed about his game. He understands where to put the puck, where to go with the puck. He takes good routes. It's just going to be about, is he going to find a, that, like you said, that niche? Is he going to be able to be dynamic enough to be an offensive player? Or is he going to have to work on his skating and just kind of be that energy guy? And I think at the next level, that energy role is going to be where he's going to be able to find a niche if he's able to. But it, it is a little concerning that his production hasn't quite popped off the way we've kind of expected it to this year. But it, it's not like he's completely offensively inept either. So it's going to be uh, – it's a long path for him, but there there is a path ahead. Yeah, and Niagara overall really hasn't had that strong of a start. And I think that's that's part of it, right? They brought that's kind of been it's been a carousel, right? Like they're kind of like one in, one out right now, at least the first three weeks of the season, changing around their OAs. So team chemistry, it's gonna take some time. I think it's gonna be another solid month or two before we really know what the Niagara Ice Dogs are. Yeah, it really is. So Let's move on to our last guy, Tanias Mathurin, fifth round pick in 2022. He's only played the one game, and that was back on October 20th before leaving after re-aggravating a shoulder injury that he suffered prior to the season. Uh, obviously, it's only one game this year. It wasn't like he played a ton in that game either or was very good in that game, that one game, but he was returning from an injury. What have you liked about his game or what have you disliked about his game kind of coming into the season? Well, uh, he's somebody that I do think has the potential to be a strong defensive presence at the NHL level. I think that his combination of mobility, reach, length, um, defensive awareness is really strong. I really like how he defends the attack. Um, I think he's his his four-way mobility is, is a real asset for him when it comes to defending transitional attacks. And it's just a matter of whether there's any sort of offensive potential there. And I think that will sort of dictate where his ceiling is as, as an NHL player. Um, I think the injury is very unfortunate for him. I think that this had an, this was an opportunity for him to have a really strong year on a, on a strong North Bay team. And uh, I hope he's able to get back in the lineup soon. Yeah, it's unfortunate that he, he did try to come back, like I mentioned, on October 20th. Re-aggravated re the shoulder. They, they kind of basically just said he wasn't quite right after the game. So they're taking it slow with him. Maybe he's a guy that kind of they bring back late November or something like that and ends up being kind of one of those own trade chips almost or one of the guys that kind of come in and, and act as a trade a piece that they didn't necessarily have early in the year when they have started strong already so 
it's going to be good. Like you mentioned, he's got the length. He's got some size at 6'3". There's a lot to like about his profile. That offensive game is kind of is what it is at this point as a more of a defensive guy. But he, he does have a good first breakout pass, which is nice as well. So it's going to be interesting, but he's got to get healthy first. And uh, hopefully the, he doesn't uh, try to rush back again too soon. Yeah, and he had some injury issues in his draft year as well. So that was kind of like, are there alarm balls ringing to a certain extent? And I feel like just before he got injured last year too, we started to see him kind of gain confidence offensively. And he was a player that I really liked kind of going into the mid-season mark because um, I think we started to see him kind of break out of his shell a little bit. And now with the injuries, I think it's maybe made him take a step back in his development. So we'll see how he progresses. Yeah, as it, as it kind of always is the case with these uh, bigger six foot three, six foot three plus defenders, it always kind of is a little bit, a bit of a longer road. So he's probably got a little bit more run room, runway than a lot of guys at his age. So hopefully, just get healthy, get back playing, and see where he is after the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to our twenty twenty three draft profile. It's the guy that we've wanted to talk about for a little bit now since we started the podcast. That's Colby Barlow, six foot one left winger. Uh, 187 pounds, February 14th birthday, Valentine's baby in 2005. He's also the captain of the Owen Sound Attack. Seven goals, seven assists, 14 points in 10 games. Uh, isn't a guy that's given in a ton of penalty trouble or anything, and he had five points in five games with the Holinka. You mentioned he's, he's hurt right now, but what have you liked about his game so far this year? Because he is one of the fastest rising draft prospects out of the OHL. I just really like his power game, and I think when you combine that with his strong sort of two-way acumen, I think this is a prospect that's going to transition to the NHL really well. Um, this is somebody who can score goals. This is somebody who can be on the ice to defend a lead. He's somebody who can play in all situations. Um, what I really like about his power game and his speed, too, is how he attacks the middle. Um, I think you and I can attest that when we've talked to scouts, that's the big thing that they're looking for is how they use their speed to attack the middle of the ice because that's what transitions to the NHL level. And Barlow is somebody who is ferocious in attacking the net and attacking the middle. And that's where he plays through. A lot of his goals this year have been tip-ins. He just owns that front of the net. He can be a transitional attacker, very versatile. And I think uh, he's going to be somebody who rises up draft lists this year. Yeah, I think the, the one thing you touched on there about attacking the net is the big thing I'd noticed in his game every time I've watched him is he's constantly around the net, whether he's at the side of the net, cutting across the, the face of the goalie. He does so much to kind of create havoc without necessarily sitting there and being that immobile net front presence that we, we all kind of look at as a guy that sits at the net front on the power play. He is more mobile. He kind of quick and, and agile in and out of space, sits in the little pockets that he finds and, and then strikes when the puck gets loose and stuff like that. So there's a lot to like about his game in, in front of the net. Like you mentioned, the two-way acumen is really nice. He understands where to be in the defensive zone. He fills in for the center when they vacate the middle of the ice or anything, when they're kind of lacking a little bit in, in terms of their defensive coverage. He understands where to be. He's really aggressive along the walls and understands how to win those battles as well, which is really important. He's just got a really well-rounded, mature game, and I think that's something, that, like you said, it's going to transition to the NHL really, really well. So Colby Barlow is definitely a guy I'm going to look for. Definitely popped onto the radar at the Halenka, and he's only kind of continued the success so far and early in the season as the captain of the uh, Owen Sound attack, which you don't necessarily see too often in your draft year. Yeah, very rare. I think, I think the one thing that I'm really looking – for from Barlow is his ability to be a little bit more consistent in transition. I think that when he's able to pick up the puck deep in the defensive zone and lead that attack, he's able to use his speed really, really well. Like I said, attacking through the middle. 
But I, I found that he sometimes has trouble maintaining possession when he's having to receive those passes in full stride. I feel like he has to slow down a little bit or he has trouble sort of making moves at full speed when he's also having to accept passes. And I think that's going to be the really big next step for him as, as a more consistent or more dominant offensive player, I should say. Um, and I think that's something that definitely can happen. I think we've seen it from many players over the course of their OHL career. And it's something that uh, as he gets stronger, I, I think that it'll improve. Yeah, I think that trait there, exactly what you're talking about with the trend, being able to lead the transition game a little bit more effectively, being able to be that guy taking the pass in the middle of the ice rather than making it. It, it kind of lends to, to my kind of theory of is he going to be a play driver or an elite passenger? And I think Colby Royal is going to be one of those two things. And is he going to be a driver from the wing, which is always a little bit more difficult than do to do than rather from the center spot, or is he going to be one of those elite passengers that are able to play off an extremely high end center, make their center better and kind of fill in for some of the gaps that they don't have in their game. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he continues developing throughout the year, but he's got so many good traits that I think it's pretty safe to say he's going to be translatable to the NHL. Yeah, I kind of look at him like a Gabriel Aniscock. I kind of see yeah. that sort of similar potential in, in, in Barlow, right? That I think both of them were early uh, leaders on their OHL teams when Aniscock did come over from Sweden to Kitchener. Um, both can play physical. Both love to play that power game. Both have great shots, great instincts. I think that's sort of the player that Barlow projects as. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Where do you kind of like? It's early in the, in the draft season, obviously, but where do you see Colby Barlow right now, and where do you kind of see him finishing the year? I think he's un unquestionably a top fifteen player uh, for me. I think that you and I both know that there's quite a few players similar to Barlow in that seven to like fifteen range. You have uh, Dvorsky, um, the Slovakian player, a Slovak player that's playing out of Sweden. Um, you have some American players out of the program. Um, you have obviously Braden Yeager. He's a little, little bit higher up on the list, um, but there's quite a few forwards that are sort of sandwiched in that range. Um, that's where I would have him personally. I think he's kind of like right behind Kyle Ritchie right now from the OHL. Yeah, for me, he's in the top 20 range for sure. Top 50 might be pushing a little bit, but I definitely see, see where he can kind of leak into that 13, 14, 15 spot in my board at the end of the season. It, it really depends on whether or not he gets that transition game going. If he can get become a much more effective transition player, because like you said, he has the speed and the ability to do it. It's just about how consistent he can do it and how much he's able to kind of become that guy taking the pass rather than making it, I think. And that's going to be the big thing for him. But if he can do that, I think he can push into that, that back end of the top 10 possibly or right outside the top 10. So it, it's going to be fun to watch Colby Barlow's development throughout the year because I have seen some people with a, with the hot take of him, him being up near the top five. And I've seen... Others with him just outside the first round, which I think is maybe a little bit much, but it's going to be interesting to kind of see where they have him. Yeah, 100%. I think I, we've mentioned it before, but I just see Barlow as a type of player that NHL scouts really kind of grow to love over the course of the season. Um, and I think that is going to lend itself well to him moving up boards into that top 10 range. All right. Now, we mentioned earlier that we're going to talk about some 16-year-olds at the U17 Challenge. So it is going to be kicking off the, the, towards the end of this week here. You'll probably be it'll probably already be kicked off by the time you're listening to this. But there's a ton of OHL talent at this event this year. There's players at all three positions, all three forward or four defense and goalie groups. So who are some guys that you're looking forward to seeing at this event, and and what what are you kind of looking for from anybody? 
I'm honestly really excited to see how this group of Ontario 06 defenders plays. Um, I think this group is is phenomenal. It's one of the better groups of defenders that I think has come through the OHL in recent years anyway. Um, when you look back to the Hockey Canada U17 camp in the summer, there were so many of these defenders who really stood out uh, among the best defenders in that age group. Uh, and I, I just want to see sort of how they compare to other players in the world, right? Uh, you got Sam Dickinson, who's had a really good start in London. Um, you got Danford, you have Christoforo, you have um, Harry Muse, there, uh, Henry Muse. There's just so many names to mention, and they're all playing really, really well. And I think that's that's the big one for me. Yeah, for me, there, there's a ton of guys. I think obviously Michael Meese is going to be fun to watch. It, 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 the the question with him isn't going to be how good is he. It's it's how dominant is he going to be at, the, at this event. How is he going to be able to put up insane record setting points, or where is he going to kind of set up? Because as of right now, he's he's a guy that's lead, like, right near the top of the goal scoring chart in the OHL. He's been absolutely fantastic for Saginaw. So it's going to be really fun to see just exactly what he can do against his own age group and not necessarily playing against 20-year-old defensemen anymore. Now he's going to be playing against 16-year-old defensemen. And, and it's going to be fun to see him almost toy with those guys and see what he can do there. But there's there's a bunch of other guys as well. I think Malcolm Spence is a guy that I've really liked when I've seen him. He's a, got a ton of talent, a ton of skill. It's going to be really fun to see where he's at. He's really young for this, this event as well. One of the younger players on his team. So it's going to be fun. A 2025 draft eligible. And another one of those guys that I'm talking about with the young, uh, uh, in terms of being young is David Bedkowski, a defenseman from Oshawa. Big boy already at 15 years old. Hasn't turned 16 yet. It's, or sorry, 16 years old, sorry. And he's just huge size already. Got incredible reach. Not necessarily a guy that's moving the puck a ton at the OHL level, but now that we're going to see him playing against his age group, what's he going to be able to do there? And I think that's the biggest thing I'm looking for with a lot of these guys. At the, at the OHL level, we're seeing them almost in muted roles of what they're going to be able to do aside from a guy like maybe Michael Misa. What are they going to be able to do now that they're back in that starring role? What are they going to be able to do now that they're playing against kids their age and not having to go up against those 20-year-olds, whether they're on the forecheck or on the back check, whatever it may be, playing against older goaltenders as well. And you mentioned earlier, earlier but Ryan Lenders, Nisaga goalie, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do as well because he's played really well in the OHL so far. What's he going to be – how big uh, – how much – how high can he get that save percentage? How, how many goals is he going to allow in this tournament? It's going to be fun to watch. And, I mean, outside the OHL, I think there's a ton of guys. Uh, Berkeley Catton, uh, Macklin Celebrini from the USHL, who's absolutely tearing it up down south. There's a ton of players to watch, so it's going to be really fun to watch. Anybody that you got your eye on that you think maybe could be the star outside of a guy like Michael Misa? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned it, I think Celebrini is, is the one, I think, uh, maybe Cole Eiserman. I think that's another yeah. one. I'm really curious to see how he performs in comparison. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I think you hit the nail on the head too. I think it's really interesting to see how some of these Ontario players perform now that they're playing against their peers um, and not older players. I'll give you two more names, right? Like Parker Morton and Jack Van Volsen. I think both of those guys had a really strong U17 camp. And now their their season's... I've been at a little bit slower start because they're playing on deeper teams and to see them at this event, hopefully they shine. And I think the big thing too, is not overreacting. Like if Michael Misa goes to this tournament and is only average, I don't think we need to sound any alarm bells. These, these guys have to come together so quickly. Um, that's why at this tournament, 
Canada hasn't had the most success because we divided our team into three. They have to come together so quickly. Team chemistry is sometimes an issue. The talent level from the other countries is terrific. So don't overreact if, if one of these guys just doesn't perform incredibly well in terms of filling the stat sheet. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because, like you said, they're, they're all so young, and a lot of them are playing that muted role in their OHL squad. So this is kind of our first peek into who to really watch for for next year and, and kind of see who's going to be able to take that step. But uh, we'll, we'll update and see what they're doing what or how they did at the tournament next week on next week's episode. But to finish off today's episode of the podcast, I figured we get to the one uh, mailbag question we didn't get to last week, and that was from our, our friend Gus Katsaros. And he wanted to know, it's, it's a bit of a philosophical question, which is kind of why we left it off last week as we are going a little long. But we have some time today, so let's get to it. He wanted to know, if you have a good handle on a player, for example, you've seen them enough to know what they are and assess the intricate skill details, what are you looking for in future viewings? And what are you kind of trying to identify in their game and monitoring? It's honestly a, a fantastic question from Gus. And I think it really depends on the player. I think it depends on the team you're watching. Um I think it depends on the position. I think there's so many different things that can go into this question. I think the big thing is just progression on perceived areas of weakness. So let's take Colby Barlow, for example. We just talked about him, right? What I'm going to be focusing on throughout the rest of my music season is how is that transition game improving, right? Is some of that small area skill improving as he's able to take passes at full stride? Um, and be a little bit more dominant in that role? Or is that something that continues to be an area of weakness? I think that that is, that is the number one for me, is looking at the progression in some of those areas that would be deemed on the weaker side for a player. Because every player has something they can work on. Um, I think we look at Shane Wright last year, right? I think that's one of the things that frustrated so many scouts last year is the areas that we perceived as a weakness at the start of the year for Wright his pace of play didn't really improve over the course of that entire season, right? There was that lack of intensity and that lack of pace to his game from start to finish. And that's when he started to drop on a few boards, right? Can Barlow make those improvements? Can somebody like Cam Allen, who I think has struggled with his decision-making a little bit to start the year. I think he's trying to do a little too much. I think Guelph is struggling and I think he's trying to put that team on his back a little bit. As the season goes on, is his decision making with the puck going to improve? I, I honestly, I think that's number one. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on there with the growth and development from throughout the year. I know one of the big things I like to do at the end of the year, kind of as I'm finalizing my rankings and board, I go back and I'll watch a couple games from the start of the season of a player and a couple games from the end of the season and just see where the differences lie and, and see, have they gotten a step quicker? Have they developed that strength along the board? So have they improved their transition game? Like you mentioned, like what were the, the issues I had early on? And I try to make note of those uh, while I'm going through this entire process. And then what, what have they improved on? What have they kind of filled? What holes have they filled throughout their game? And the other thing I look for is the consistency. Uh, you can catch a few hot games of a player early in the season and really go, oh, man, like this pl player X is doing so many things well. I really like their game as a goal scorer or playmaker or whatever it may be. And then they go on a, a soft streak while you're more focused on the World Juniors or you're focused on a U17 event or the World Under-18s. Or, or maybe they get hurt and, and you, you kind of forget about them for a little bit then. And then they come back and there's a, there's a, a spike in their performance or, or, or just a, a, 
a streak of bad play, you, you have to kind of try to figure out where that consistency lies and, and are they able to be that consistent player throughout the season. I know one of the concerns a few years ago in, in this the WHL example, but Seth Jarvis, he had that incredible second half of the season and so many people were like, okay, well, where was this in the first half of the season? And, and while a lot of people questioned it, the, the things that were making him successful in the second half were still happening in the first half. He just wasn't getting the puck luck that he was getting in the second half. So while obviously I think the second half was a little bit unsustainable at that rate, that first half, he was almost getting kind of payback for not getting the bounces back then. We talk about it all the time with teams in the NHL, OHL, and any other league. There's that regression to the mean that I think is important. And, and I think trying to figure out where the player is getting, finding the success or if they do go on a five, six game streak of not scoring – why is it because they're not engaged in the game or is it because they're doing everything they've always done and just not getting the bounces or a teammate not capitalizing on a chance that they sit up at the side of the net? I noticed that was a problem with a few guys last year where you'd see them make a play towards the front of the net, towards the side of the net, and it would bounce over their teammate's stick or their teammate would just yeet a pass up into the, the screening and stuff like that. So it's always about consistency, I think, for me when I'm watching them, their games more towards the end of the year and after I've got a handle on them. And then, like you said, the progression of their, of their skill. Are they adding anything to their toolbox? Well, what are they kind of doing to make themselves an even better player this year? Because uh, at the end of the day, that's what they're going to be having to do the next few four, five, six years. And then throughout their NHL career, they're going to be constantly trying to add, add little tools, little traits to their game. Are they able to do it throughout their draft year? Yeah, honestly, that's a that's a fantastic answer, Tony. I, I agree with you completely. I think you really hit the nail on the head with the consistency component. I think something that maybe us in the in the sort of scouting world do wrong is there's kind of a when you're going back to watch video on a player, right? Sometimes there's this tendency to watch the game that you see where they put up two goals and an assist. Yeah. Where I think it's probably even more important to go back and watch that game where they were zero zero minus two. Right, like what was going on in that game? Did they play a lot better than that stat line suggests? How do they how do they play when they're not producing? Um, and is it is it a puck clock thing? What's happening there? And I think uh, I think you really nailed it there. Yeah, I think something I've tried to do over the last couple of years because I think when you're first getting into this and you're first starting to do all this, because whether it's uh, on the journalistic route or the scouting route, you start watching guys and like you said. You see them, oh, they had a four-point game. I want to watch that one. And and you end up watching every game that they had a multi-point game. And, and now something I've tried to do over the last few years especially is if I just watch that four-point game, now I'm watching that game where they, they had 0-0 zero, zero, minus 2. I, I want to make sure I'm getting the whole spectrum of what they do in, in over their season so I'm not just seeing the highlights. Because at the end of the day, you can just look at the stat line if that's what you're looking for. And you really need to kind of see the intricacies of these players' games and see where they're developing. And like I said, those little tiny areas and where they're making improvements. Yeah. And I mean, Quentin Musty is another great example of that this year, I feel like. Because he's going to have a lot of games where he's like two and two, eight, ten shots on net. And then he's going to have streaks where he goes four games without recording a point. And it's, you know, how is that happening? Why is it happening? And I think that's going to be the big thing to assess for guys who do struggle with consistency. Yeah, I think Quentin Musty was actually the guy I was thinking of when we were talking about it a little bit because there, there's guys that oftentimes will have empty calorie scoring and it's like, okay, I watched a game where they had three points in the game and they had, they had this ability to kind of put up on the score sheet and then you watch the game and you go, those were the only three plays that I even noticed. Or, hey, they had three assists. I barely even knew they got one watching the game. So 
it, it is one of those things where you have to watch the game and actually see see the things that they're doing because people cr- talk about it all the time. Well, you can't be this analytics-based scout and you can't be this just purely eyes-only scout. No, I think the big thing is you have to blend the two two practices of looking at the stat line, looking at the analytics, looking at the, the actual game tape because that's the only way you're going to get the full picture of these guys. Another thing I really like looking at as we get sort of further into the season is compete level. Um, so how they compete when their team is losing badly. So if the score is 6-2 and we're starting the third period, you know, how is that compete level still? And if their team is performing poorly in the standings, right? By February, we have a pretty good handle on you know who's at the top and who's at the bottom and who's pushing for maybe one of those final playoff spots. And your team maybe is kind of on the outside looking in. Like, what are what are you doing? How are you creating a consistent impact? Or how are you making a consistent impact, right? Um, it could be a player that you have a really good handle on, but maybe that sort of script flips a little bit towards the end of the year when maybe a little bit less is on the line. Um, and I think that's always something I'm very curious about. Yeah, I'm completely in agreement with you there. But I think that wraps up today's podcast. You can follow me at, on Twitter at the Tony Fro. You can follow Brock at Brock Otten and follow the hockey news for everything you want to know on the OHL. Plus, make sure you're listening to the WHL, QMJHL, AHL, and the U.S. Pipeline podcast that we're producing as well. Tons of prospect content coming to you this year from a variety of different knowledgeable sources. And us at the OHL are just part of that. So we appreciate you listening. Without further ado, Brock, you got any last words? No. Enjoy the U17s if you get a chance. Yeah, it'll be a fun tournament. With that said, enjoy your night, enjoy your day, and we'll talk to you later.